0: I listed the entire section, verses 28 through 40, although we're actually only going to be looking at about two and a half verses from that section. Plan for next Sunday is to finish up chapter 18, get through the first section of chapter 19, which is the lead up to the crucifixion. And then on Good Friday, finish up chapter 19, which includes the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, uh, and then... We will be, Lord willing, in chapter 20 on Easter, Uh, and you have to go through the bad to get to the good with the gospel, and we look forward to that. Just a couple weeks away, which is hard to believe, but it's fast approaching. So John chapter 18, and again, I'll read verses 28 through 40. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day and for your most holy word that we have the opportunity once again to come to you, to study your word, to be pointed to your gospel, Lord. In our passage, Jesus talks about truth, and He is the ultimate truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, He is the one who points us to you, who reveals your truth. Lord, who brings us to you, may we be a church of people who know that, and believe that, and are transformed by that, to your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the biblical theme of kingdom. Two weeks ago, we looked at how that theme develops in the Old Testament. Last week, we began to consider this discussion between Pontius Pilate and Jesus And as I mentioned, we've included the first part of that discussion where we finished last week in today's section. And today the plan is to talk further about Christ's kingdom and what exactly that means. But before we get more thoroughly into our passage in John, I actually want to take a couple of moments and look at the Gospel of Matthew, because that's the place that I would argue has the strongest Kingdom theme language in the New Testament. Now, at Christmas time this past year, we spent several weeks in Matthew's Gospel looking at the opening two chapters. And how does Matthew's Gospel begin? With a genealogy which links Abraham to the great King David, and from David ultimately to Joseph to Jesus. So Matthew begins his gospel by establishing that Jesus is a king. Like the Israelites in Exodus, Jesus, too, is born in the shadow of another kingdom. For the Israelites, it was Egypt. Jesus is born under Roman authority. And there's an earthly king who has no interest in a competing heavenly king, a man named Herod. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, where Jesus begins his ministry, he says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We find the idea of the kingdom of heaven in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. He begins this great sermon with a well-known, well-beloved section called the Beatitudes. Eight blessings which Christ pronounces. Among these, he says things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the meek. Now, we don't think of any of those things as being great blessings, do we? They totally fly in the face of the value system of our world. But Jesus is contrasting the aspirations and the goals of a fallen world against the values of heaven. The Beatitudes begin and end with language of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then again in Matthew 5, 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom of heaven language pervades the entire value system which Jesus discusses. When talking of the law, Jesus says in Matthew 5:20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talks of the prioritizing of this kingdom. Matthew 6:33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Which I believe was actually the song Katie was just playing a moment ago. And the Lord's prayer Jesus taught. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Kingdom language colors Jesus' teaching and parables. In Matthew 13, Jesus compares the kingdom to leaven and to a mustard seed, which grows to incredible sizes. It's a pearl of great price in which a person places incredible value. He compares heaven both to hidden treasure and to new treasure. In Matthew 20, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a work foreman who invites people to come to work for him. And in the parable, the day is coming to its conclusion, and he's still called to invite more people to work for him, that they still will receive the same wages as those who worked the whole day. A A clear reference to heaven. Now, we won't spend as much time in Mark and Luke, but the kingdom of heaven is a prominent theme in those Gospels as well. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, the risen Christ has kingly authority over the earth, and he tells his disciples in the Great Commission, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." The risen Christ speaks authoritatively to the disciples about the power and authority that he now has over the world. Christ has come into the world to usher in the kingdom of heaven. And I give that background on that idea because I think it will be helpful in studying our passage in John this morning. And with that, we'll jump into our passage. And I want to talk about three things. The nature of Christ's kingdom the purpose of his kingdom, and the people of his kingdom. First point, the nature of Christ's kingdom. As a reminder from last week, Jesus has now been arrested. He's been taken to the headquarters of Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor. And Pilate is questioning Jesus. From the text, it seems pretty clear that Pilate has been briefed on Jesus and who he is. And so Pilate asks Jesus if he's the king of the Jews. As they're talking, Jesus will say in verse 36. He says in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Now, last week, we ended on that verse, where Jesus says that his kingdom is not of this world. And when he is elaborating on what he means by that, what he's saying is that if he simply had come to bring in any other earthly kingdom, that he would have been leading his followers into battle for the pursuit of conquest. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because his kingdom is not of this world. It is a heavenly kingdom. And there are two senses in which we see Christ's heavenly kingdom. That his kingdom was ushered into the world during his time in the world. And that believers in the gospel from the time of Christ all the way up to today are living as his kingdom people. And there's also a second sense in which the kingdom in the future will be ultimately perfected at the end of the age. Now, when I say that Christ's kingdom has been ushered into the world today, what does that look like? It has several implications. The followers of Jesus comprise his church and serve him in the world today. We have the ethical teachings of the kingdom We live as kingdom people and enjoy the spiritual blessings that are in Christ. Among these blessings that we are born again into new life in Christ. We have fellowship with Christ, adoption in Christ, holiness through Christ, justification by Christ. And there are many other blessings we could look to that we enjoy today as followers of Christ. We receive spiritual gifts from Christ and blessings in Christ. All as a result of living in the light of the kingdom that Christ has ushered into the world. It's a point that I've actually heard Steve Hall make before several times. But to consider the impact that the gospel has had in our world. And that churches have had in the world. How the world has been totally transformed because of the cross. Because of the gospel. Because of what Jesus has done. And that's certainly true. The countless millions of lives of people who were dead in sin finding life in Christ. Lives that have been changed and transformed as a result of coming to know the Lord. And the way in which the church has been utilized throughout the world for good. The hospitals and schools that have been built. So many of the earliest scientists were devoutly religious people who believed in a God of order and an orderly universe. So many of the world's great charitable organizations that have served people all over the globe, founded and created by Christians. Those are just a few examples. But to summarize, the kingdom of heaven is the people of God who have had lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and who follow him, serve him, and minister for him in the world today. And that this points forward to the time when the kingdom will be perfected at the return of Christ. Now, when Jesus says that his kingdom is not of this world, D.A. Carson is helpful in pointing out that Jesus' statement should not be misconstrued as meaning that his kingdom is not active in this world or has nothing to do with this world. Because Jesus' kingdom is very much integral to this world but it's that Jesus has a kingdom that is not primarily concerned with a territory, but which extends to every quarter of the globe. He has a kingdom which is not about just one group of people, but which invites people of every tribe and tongue and nation. Jesus has a kingdom that does not govern, but which has influenced all of the kingdoms and nations of the world from the inside out. It's a kingdom that does not have a standing army or a military, But through the body of Christ, the people of Christ, who serve Christ as his hands and feet in the world. And the call upon every Christian is to live as a kingdom person. And that's a blessing that we have. That is a good thing that Christ gives us. That we get a chance to participate in his kingdom. To serve him in our lives and with our lives as his followers. We come to our second point, the purpose of Christ's kingdom. First part of verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. Pilate responds. Now, with a lot of things that Pilate says in this interaction with Jesus in this gospel, there's always a question of tone from Pilate and exactly how he's saying things. So for instance, is, is Pilate intrigued? So you are a king? Is he genuine? So you are a king? Is he sarcastic? So you are a king? We don't know exactly the tone in which Pilate is saying this to Jesus. In the context of the passage, and the f- fact that Pilate never seems to fully grasp what Jesus is saying or understand it Especially clearly, I lean towards the idea that Pilate is somewhat talking down to Jesus and speaking ironically as if Jesus is a king when Pilate doesn't really believe that. But Pilate doesn't fully understand. That much, I believe, is clear from the text, given that Jesus will elaborate on what he's talking about in this same verse. Jesus says, you say that I'm a king. And Jesus will explain that his kingdom, not in terms of an earthly rule, but in his connection to truth. Continuing in the verse, Jesus says, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Now I think we need to step back for a moment. Because I think we can sometimes kind of be on autopilot when we're reading our Bibles. But when Jesus says, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. That whatever comes next is very important. The reason why Jesus came into the world is to bear witness to the truth. But that begs the question, what is the truth? Something that we need to understand from this text. When Jesus talks about bearing witness to the truth after he has just talked about having a kingdom that is not of this world, Jesus is not changing the topic. He's not going off on a tangent. He's not going down a rabbit trail. But rather, the ideas of kingdom and truth are actually connected to each other. Stay with me. Jesus talks of his kingdom, and since it is so different from how we think of a kingdom... Or how, I'm sure, Pilate thought of a kingdom. In the text, Pilate doesn't understand. And so Jesus will connect the idea of a kingdom to the idea of truth. George Beasley Murray, a late New Testament scholar, makes the helpful point that when Jesus has just said that his kingdom was not of this world, Jesus is defining his kingdom Negatively, In other words, he's defining, defining his kingdom by what it isn't. It's not of this world. But then in verse 37, Jesus is defining his kingdom by what it is. It's a kingdom of truth. But what does that mean? How do we define truth? The first dictionary definition I could find was the quality or state of being true. That doesn't really help. In John's gospel, it's not so much about us starting with a definition of truth and then seeing how Jesus lines up with that. Rather, it is looking at Jesus and the things to which he bears witness. And in the light of what Jesus reveals, we see the truth. And throughout John's gospel, Jesus is defining truth. Most central to that definition is Jesus himself. John chapter 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And John 17, 17, Jesus will call God's word truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus, in John chapter 8, will connect truth to freedom. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus has come into the world for the purpose of bearing witness to the truth. John has written his gospel so that people can believe in the truth. That's something that the gospel writer will pick up after the resurrection after Jesus has died. John chapter 19, verse 35. Jesus is on the cross. He's just passed away. And John says, He who saw it, referring to himself, has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth that you also may believe. So there you have John using truth in light of the resurrection. John chapter 21, verse 24. The second to last verse in this book. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So we look at truth and how Jesus lives that out and defines that during his life and ministry. And that same idea John applies at the end of Christ's life and after the resurrection of Jesus. And so we return again to the passage at hand in John chapter 18, When Jesus says, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Jesus looks back at his own birth, back to the incarnation. It's why he was born. Commenting on Christ's coming into the world in John chapter 1, verse 14. John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so at the beginning of his life, we see this connection to truth, and we see it emphasized by Jesus himself at the end of his life. That is why Jesus came into the world. To put it another way, how do we define truth in the Bible? It's not about what is truth, but who is truth? Jesus. If you want to know what truth is in the Bible, look to Jesus. He is the truth. He speaks the truth. He reveals the truth. And most significant in that is the truth of the gospel itself. The truth that God loves us. The truth that Jesus has died for us. The truth that Jesus has risen. That there is the hope of eternal life. And the truth that we are sinners who need a savior. And Jesus says these things during his ministry. But he did not come just to say the truth, but to bear witness to the truth. He reveals the truth. And he reveals that through himself, through his life, his death, and his glorious resurrection. Jesus is the truth who reveals the truth. Who reveals the gospel. Who reveals the kingdom of heaven to the world. At the end of verse 37... Jesus mentions how his people will respond to the truth, and that brings us to our third point, the people of his kingdom. End of verse 37, Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Because Jesus has revealed the truth, humanity enjoys the blessing of being able to respond to the truth of the gospel and to know the truth. The person who is of the truth listens to the voice of Jesus because to truly listen to Jesus is to know him, believe in him, and follow him. Jesus has a kingdom that is not of this world. We've talked about truth and what truth is. But let's talk for a moment about what truth isn't the world. The world is not the truth. The world is (coughs) sinful and fallen. Jesus reveals the truth. The world is false. Jesus shines the light. The world is in darkness. Jesus brings life. The world is dying. (coughs) Excuse me. When Jesus says that his kingdom is not of this world... It is again reminding us that there are two kingdoms. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world. Which kingdom is your kingdom? For the person who knows the truth and who follows Jesus, we're living in the world. But to follow the truth means that you know that this world is not your hope. And that this world is not your home. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. The Apostle Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because to live as a person of the truth is to live as a person of Christ's kingdom. And that entails everything that we've discussed. For us today, living as kingdom people means knowing Jesus Serving Jesus and advancing his kingdom. Why do we have to deal with a fallen world if we're meant to enjoy and be part of Christ's heavenly kingdom? Why isn't just all of it made perfect now? Why do we have to wait? Because God so loved the world. But the world is fallen. So there is work to be done on behalf of the kingdom of Christ in reaching the world. That we were all once dead in our sins. That we were once of this world. That there was another kingdom, but that we have been born again through Christ. Because living as Christ's kingdom people Is a call to advance his kingdom in the world. That we do not exist in this world ultimately to do what we want and pursue whatever we like, but to serve a greater purpose, to serve a kingdom purpose. We've been talking a lot these last few weeks about evangelism and sharing our faith. That's one of the most sacred things that Jesus calls us to do and pursue in life. That can seem so daunting. It can seem so frustrating. It can seem so hard to know where to get started with that. But I heard somebody bring up this point this week, and to me it was an encouragement. That there are about 7.7 billion people in the world today. And no one is called to reach the whole world. Or to save the whole world. Or to evangelize the whole world. But there are an estimated 2.3 billion Christians in the world today. If every Christian were to bring one person to Christ, more than half the world would be saved. If you were to take that group, every Christian today, and they led a second person to Christ, plus the original person you led, led someone else, that's more than the population of the entire world. It's not through a couple of people doing totally green and immense things. It's through billions of people faithfully serving the Lord, sharing the message of the gospel, sharing the love of Christ with others, doing our part as kingdom people and advancing Christ's kingdom to the world. Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Of the truth, not a truth. Jesus is the truth, who reveals the truth to the world, And interestingly enough, that's something that by itself is true or not. You either believe that he is the truth or you do not. And so I ask, what do you believe? Who is Jesus? I often talk about this postmodern notion that all religions are basically teaching the same thing. They're not. That all religions can be true. They can't. And the irony is that when people put forth these ideas, that that in itself is a claim about truth and what is ultimately reality. When we say no religion is any better or worse than any other, we're making a statement about the reality of God. Jesus says that he has come to the world to reveal the truth. And when the postmodern person argues, no, you're not really the truth, We're saying that Jesus is wrong. We're saying that something else is true. But the biblical view is that Jesus came to the world to preach the good news of the kingdom, and that it is he who is the truth and who defines truth and reveals that message. You can take that or you can leave it. But what does not work is to play games with it, to minimize it, to diminish it. And I'll close with this. When Jesus came to Pilate, as we've discussed, a lot of Pilate's responses seem underwhelmed or disbelieving. Are you the king of the Jews? So you are a king? But we so often do the same thing. We diminish Jesus. We try to find ways of how he isn't the exclusive truth. We try to find excuses to ignore what we don't like or what... He said that we disagree with. So we just find reasons as to why it's not true or why it doesn't apply. We play games. We question Jesus. We question the truth. But Jesus invites us in. He invites us to know him. He invites us to know the truth. He invites us to be his followers and to live in his kingdom and to serve him as our king and to live on earth as it is in heaven under the truth. When Jesus tells Pilate that his kingdom. Is not of this world. As we've seen Pilate doesn't understand. And when Jesus talks of truth. We see again. That Pilate doesn't understand. Verse 38 Pilate says. What is truth? We never see any answer given to that question. Once again. Given how Pilate will respond. It doesn't seem that it's a sincere question and truly seeking to know the truth. It's another irony in this gospel that Pilate is talking to Jesus without understanding Jesus, that Jesus is the truth. Our world asks what is truth. Sometimes our world tries to define what is truth. But anything that looks away from Jesus is not the truth because he is the one reveals the kingdom. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we do have a great Savior. Lord, no matter what we have going on today or this week, Lord, no matter what stresses we have, frustrations we have, challenges we have, Lord, that we are invited to walk and live today in the light of the good news of the gospel, Lord. And that while our challenges and difficulties are significant and substantial, that they are not all that there is to our experience and life, Lord, and that we have the opportunity to rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.